Good morning. Good morning, church. We have two on this side and everybody's over here. <laughs> that must be the side, right? Anyway, it's uh, good to be back here. Got the opportunity to go to Millersburg Baptist last week. And uh, I understand this man right here by the name of Zach Whitson did a very good job on delivering the gospel. And uh, thank you, Zach. He didn't hear me. Thank you, Zach. Think you heard that? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, the speaker. Okay. Can't hear that because of this. I don't. Anyway, um, and Janice is with Eldon today because um, they're up at Millersburg because Dennis Peterson decided to take a vacation. His very first family vacation where they would go actually out and for like a week or so instead of like uh, a day or two, you know. And uh, he said that was the first time. So they went down to Florida and uh, they're having a blast. And anyway, um, what we're going to be dealing with today is um, a lot of different texts, a lot of different passages. Um, I've got up there, I think, the John, uh, maybe the Psalms. Uh, there's a John 17. Uh, matter of fact, I have a lot of Psalms. And of course, that John 17 we'll keep referring back to. And uh, this is just encouraging news. This is very encouraging, and it's really about what our life really is about, really is about. The best news of the Christian gospel. You want the best news that you can possibly get? It's about the supremely glorious Creator of the universe who acted in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to remove every obstacle between us and Himself so that we would find everlasting joy Joy the Lord is our strength. And savoring His infinite beauty. That's really what it's about. It's about savoring His uh, beauty. And it was done at great cost to Him for the least deserving that could be. Us. And He is going to make us supremely happy forever and ever and ever. And it's namely because of Himself. God is the gospel. He is the good news. The very gift of Himself is our pleasure, is our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, in uh, Psalm 16.11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That means... He wants us to take delight. Not only in the future, but even now. But in eternity, can you imagine how much more we will enjoy it? In God Himself is where we find... That's where He finds His pleasure. But we find our satisfaction in Him. We find it for our souls forever in Him. Everything else in the Gospel, everything that we see there... It's meant to display God's glory and to take every obstacle out like His wrath and our sin, right? Our disobedience, our rebellion. He he wants to remove that. He is removing it so that we can enjoy Him forever. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or it's been stated by enjoying Him forever. It's the glory of Christ that satisfies our soul. That's where we get our satisfaction. He is the ultimate gift. He is our treasure. It's all about Him. What's the ultimate good of the Gospel? The ultimate good. What supreme good, what ultimate good makes all the other aspects that we see in the Gospel good? What is it? It's seeing and savoring the beauty of Christ, and also putting it on display in our lives. If Can you imagine that He is the good news? And if we didn't have the good news, it wouldn't reveal the glory of Christ. 
Where would we be if it were that way? If we were left in that kind of sense? So He is the ultimate. He brings the proper happiness to our souls. And uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite, said this, They that have Christ, they have a soul-satisfying portion. They have the truest pleasures and comforts. Here is to be found the proper happiness of the soul. Such as have Christ, they have better and greater riches than any others. Better honor. Far better pleasures than sensual men. The joys are more exquisitely delighting than ever was enjoyed by the greatest Epicurean, the philosophers that took in their own hedonist ways. There are no pleasures, Edward said, like those that are by the enlightenings of the Spirit of Christ, the discoveries of the beauty of Christ, and the manifestations. Discoveries of the beauty of Christ. Anyway, we know that we are to be gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And it's said in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said this, Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. They shall see. The Bible teaches that the final and ultimate gift of God's love is the enjoyment of God's beauty. Enjoying it. Beholding the beauty of God. The supreme desire of Christians. The ones who know Him. God loves us by giving His very best and His very best is to enjoy. That's how He gets His most glory when we are enjoying Him. And um, he, He did it that we would have God. The greatest good of the Gospel is having God as our treasure forever. We know those simple things, but this is to really remind us what life is all about. That's what we're here for today, to be reminded and so that we can uh, see His beauty and give Him glory for that. When, when, when a Christian is converted, he has a soul awakened spiritually, and he can now see that there is glory. There is the glory of God. And He is the very ground, the very basis, the foundation of our joy. And matter of fact, when you know Christ, what happens is there's a destruction going on. He starts destroying things in your life that sought after experiences in life. Sought after something that we really didn't know we were after. We tried one thing and then we'd try another then we'd try another one. And it never really brought lasting satisfaction. Maybe for a few moments, maybe for a little while, but it all rubbed off. And what he does is he comes in and he starts destroying those kind of passions. And when you take something out, you have to bring something else in place of. He just doesn't destroy all the bad things and leave it there. He puts in this exaltation of Christ in in our hearts. And we know we're really after that more and more. And to enjoy that God exaltation experience in the place of self comes the glory of God. Starts replacing the self. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. And most of the time, our joy in some splendor outside ourselves is contaminated by our self, our self awareness. That's what we battle the most, isn't it? Battle the flesh. We have egos. It's all about self, self, and God is coming in and He's destroying those things. And we've tasted enough of self-forgetting joy to help us know what being loved by God really, really means. And all of a sudden we start seeing some things in our lives that really don't need to be there anymore. Or He's already erased and taken out. And you think, thank the Lord that's not there. And then you realize there's more things in your life that has to be taken out. You think, well, okay, that's about enough, isn't it? <laughs> and then there's more. He just keeps taking out more of those things. And God's best gift is really Himself, and it's not self-esteem. It's Him. God's best gift is God. 
And it's for everlasting and everlasting. And it's for enjoyment. To enjoy Him. That, I mean, that's the top of the line. So, we know that's impossible to see Christ until He comes in and starts making this, He makes this change. And then we're able to see the glory of God and see the greatest treasure. And it only makes sense that He would give us this kind of love and this kind of gift that He's given us and that we experience it. But what He has to do is He has to take the veil off. He is a beautiful God that you have to admit almost all the world doesn't see. Few there be that find it. Right? The Christians, the ones who are His, see that veil that's taken off and what's behind that veil. And we start seeing what's behind that veil by the means of Scripture. This is what we have to be able to see the beauty of Christ right now while we're here. And it shows the glory of God being the best gift of all. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, but one of them we're going to do is go to John 11, 1 through 6. You say, well, that's an odd place about the glory of God and, and seeing that and savoring it because it's where a man dies and Jesus lets him die. Verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep, of course. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. (laughs) So that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, so that we may die with him. Well, we know the rest of the story. We know that brings him back to life. Of course, he talked to um, um, Martha versus Mary. They were really sad. Lazarus has died. And I think this is astonishing that Jesus did not depart right away as soon as he heard the news. Oh, my, let's go. We've got to keep him from dying. He intentionally delayed. Well, he's got the power to keep him from dying. Yeah. But he let Lazarus die. That's that's just what it says. This does not sound humanly the thing to do, does it? Sometimes He goes against the grain of our thoughts. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes God does things that we think... He, sh- he really He's not paying attention. We think we have it all solved. How do you make sense out of this? Matter of fact, it said He, he loved Lazarus and He loved the sisters. Now what kind of sense is this? God doesn't always make sense to us. He said this illness does not lead to death but he did die. 
But he said it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. That they would see and savor His glory that they had never experienced before. I mean, this is something just, I mean, out of this world. They've probably heard about maybe some other resurrections. This is Lazarus. Jesus has a plan. He's going to let Lazarus die. By the way, he's actually going to let Lazarus die a second time because we have we have to die to go enter into the kingdom. Something has to happen there. But he's you know he's going to raise him from the dead here. Uh, it's a costly plan because Lazarus is going to have to go through the torment of death, and then he's going to find that he's going to have to come back after he has uh, been somewhere else. God's presence. The family's going to have to endure four days of grieving over his death. And you say, why would Jesus allow this? Well, his aim is to show the glory of God in the Father and in the Son by the power of God's Spirit. And the primary way that Jesus loved the family was doing what He must do to display to them in an unforgetful way, His own glory. They never forgot about this. Nobody has forgotten about this. All Christians know this story. Or should know it, right? What kind of love is this? It's from Christ. I don't understand that. And many today would call Jesus unloving, like somebody doing a trick. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'll wait a few more days. You know, I'll just let them go through all of this. Some would call Jesus very callous. Very hard by doing that. And it sounds like he's self-conceited. Sounds like he's motivated for his own glory. When there's a man here that needs to have something done before he dies, he's sick. And you know what? Most people, when we act in the flesh, we take love and we put human value and human well-being at the highest point. Forgetting that the highest point is seeing and savoring and displaying the very glory of God. Instead, what we like to do is put it up to a pretty high level because we love that person and we don't want that person to die. Well, the truth really is is that we're going to miss them. You know, It might be kind of selfish. Well, what's the deal here? What's going on? Well, love is doing whatever you need to do to help people see and savor and display the glory of God. Whatever it takes for people to see that awesome beauty of God. That's what we want. That's what Jesus did here. He took it to the highest point. We can't raise people from the dead and we do what we know to be best. And yes, our minds would say we want that person to live on and they, you know, they, need, uh, uh, they need a healing and we can pray for that or they need some medicine or whatever. Okay, they need a really good doctor. All of those things. But Christ is a little different and He could do what He did there and He did put His glory on magnificent display and He did it in a way that no human could do. Love keeps God central. It was for the glory of God. That's really what it's about. The best gift that He can do is to reveal Himself even in ways that we don't understand. Matter of fact, don't even like. And He reveals Himself at that time. Love means helping people to see and savor Christ forever. They might be at a point that they hate Christ. They hate everything about Him. They don't want to hear anything that. Or they say, oh, I'm already a believer. And their lifestyles have not changed and they're living for their own glory, for their own selfish means. That's what they're about, for their own self. 
And if we can come in and somehow present the glory of Jesus Christ by presenting the law, showing that they're sinners and they need a holy God and they need this beautiful God who looks so ugly to them. If we can come in and give them that news, that's the best love that you can have for anybody. Because it shatters their self-awareness and can make them aware of Jesus Christ and His beauty. Number three, Jesus' prayer is for us to see His glory. Now let's go to that one text I had kind of as a main text. We haven't read it yet. But in John 17, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible because it's a prayer. It's a prayer from Jesus. It's a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays for the apostles. He prays for all believers of all time. He prayed for you right here. In 17.1, he starts off like this. And you can say, well, it doesn't sound like he's praying for me. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He asked for His glory to be completely back the way that it was before He came in as a man. And then in verse 5, we're skipping verses here. Now, Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Give Me that same glory. So, He prays. God to be glorified. That He would have the glory. That He could glorify the Father. That this glory would be central. Father, I desire this. But I also desire that they see the glory. He's talking about experiencing the glory. Look in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, that means all the believers, whom You have given Me, that they be with Me where I am. That's a good prayer. Why? So that they may see My glory which You have given Me. For You love Me before the foundation of the world. You love Me so much. And Jesus had the same kind of love for His Father. Look at this though. So that they would see His glory. Now there has been glimpses of the glory of Jesus all throughout the Gospel story as He walked the earth. And of course, Lazarus 11 has already happened and He showed some glory there. But they didn't really see the full-blown glory. matter of fact, the closest that anybody came to see that glory was found in Matthew 17 at the Transfiguration where he peeled back his flesh and showed a big glimpse of his glory, but it still wasn't at all. It wasn't all of the glory, because they're not in glorified bodies at that time, but they could see something there that nobody else had seen at that time. And he says, I want them to see my full-blown glory. That's for us. One day, we will see that full-blown glory of Jesus Christ. He prayed for that. And everything that Jesus prays for, He gets. Finish it out. O righteous Father, all of the world has not known You, yet I have known You, and these have known that You sent Me, look at this, and I have made Your name known to them. Everything about the Father is. And will make it known, look at this, you ready? You ready? So that the love with which You loved Me may be in them and I in them. Now the Father has this perfect love for His Son. But He has this perfect love for us. And then we will be able to return that love perfectly back to Him. That we just have the same love that Jesus has for the Father and the same love that the Father has for the Son the same uh, love that the Father has for us. That's incredible. Scripture is unveiling some things here, folks. 
some things to kind of ponder on. Things that you know, but yet it should be striking you. I'm here to remind us. I, I love you so much that I want you to be able to understand today just having one little more glimpse that all of eternal life is knowing Him, seeing Him, perceiving Him, so that you would enjoy Him infinitely, to delight in Him absolutely, and put that on a perfect display. Uh, Does God make much of us? Well, we know that He does. In some senses, we know that. Um, This is what it means for Jesus to love us. God's love labors, suffers, dies to just enthrall us whatever is infinite and eternally satisfying. That is what He's doing. And you say, wow, does He love us that much? Yeah, with an infinite love. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. This is the resurrection chapter. Just a, a pinch, and then we'll move on to some other scripture. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, here while we're here on this earth, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Whoa! We're made in the image of God right now, and but we're still on the earth. But we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We will bear the image of Christ in every way. We know God created man in His own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God saw that everything He had made and behold, it was very good. And then sin tainted everything. And here we are. But we're looking to eternity. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. You want to know what's going on right now? This is what's going on. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Hopefully at this moment, like right now, but we all with unveiled face. Remember I was talking about that unveiling that Christ has done and He showed you a, a glimpse of Him? Beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of of the Lord. Here's what's happening as we're looking at His glory found in here. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord to Spirit. It's happening. And as you're taking this in, I hope you're drinking from the fountain today because this is really encouraging. These are His Scriptures. I didn't write these. I'm just saying I'm excited. And whenever I read these, I got more excited. And then I got more excited and I said, I've got to share this. Because I just want... And, and, and it's like, oh, yeah, I know this. But oh, how we need to be reminded. We've had a tough week this week. We had to live in this world and we had to face some of the things in this world that we really don't like to do, but we know they have to be done. And then we go through some things you know, that we don't enjoy. But look what's happening. This is what's happening. Philippians 3.21 Keep this in mind. 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's really where we really live. That's where we really belong. That's where we come from. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He has so much power that He can make everything come into subjection to Him and that's everything. Everything in all the universe, all of the billions and billions and trillions and quadrillions and billions and billions of the stars and the planets and the billions and billions of galaxies 
And He makes every one of them come into subjection. I think that's power. And what does that mean to us? The kind of power that He has out there that He now is, is transforming here. But, you know, not only inwardly, but He says an outward body that He will give us. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. I think it's something to be excited about. You know, you can stand at the Grand Canyon and you can see the beauty Oh, the glory that's in God's creation. And you can even see what the flood did. And you can look at Niagara Falls. And you can go into Wyoming and, and see the Grand Tetons. And you can see Yellowstone National Park. You go on and on. All over our country and all over the world, you can see those things and just be amazed. I mean, it's a, it's a glory in itself. But you know what? It doesn't even come close to what we're talking about here. In Romans... 8.30 And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. These whom He justified, He also glorified. Look at Romans 8.21 That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of of the glory of the children of God. All the creation is going to have glory also. So everywhere you look, all you're going to see is glory everywhere. No taint of sin. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. God is glory. Everything will be glory. Everything is not God. That's creation. But God is in Himself is going to free the creation into the very glory that we have. One of my favorites. Some of you out there might be one of your favorite verses. Zephaniah. You said, what's in Zephaniah? (laughs) I haven't turned to Zephaniah in ages. Well, we should. Because sometimes you just want to be encouraged and God's Word can sure do that. Sometimes we need to be convicted Sometimes we need good news like this. And I know many of you have read this before. 317, you have it? The Lord your God is in your midst. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's great. I could stop right there. A victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. And you ready for this? He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Or some of them might have singing. He will rejoice over you with singing or shouts of joy. That, you can say, oh, I can't, I can't believe that. That's maybe putting a little bit too much exaltation on us. Well, I can't say it enough. God is going to sing over us. And He's going to rejoice over it. Whatever that means, it's not because of us and our works, but it's because of what He's done in us. And He loves us so much that He just is beyond any kind of love that we can ever even imagine. What kind of love is this? Look in 1 Peter 1, seven. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result, look at this, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Now, granted, we know that we are going to give Him praise and glory and honor. But do you know also that He is exulting over us? And He gives us the honor. He gives us the crowns which we gladly throw back to Him. But He gives us glorification. And it will never fall short of sin or of glory. This sin will be totally destroyed. 
in 2 Peter 1, 4. This certainly is God esteemed. 1, 4 of 2 Peter. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Not being God, but partaking of His very nature, made in the very image of Him. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. One of these days we're going to escape out of here. No more corruption again. This conformity to Christ means that we share in the very glory of God. Spiritually and physically. It includes our bodies. It's in the process of now, but one day it will all be glorification. Right now, we will see glory. We know that. And we will be glorious. We, we recognize that thought. And we can say, well, wow, God makes much of us. Really, our duty is to make much of Him. But in one sense, we can, we can say that, yes, yes, He does. It's not according to my credit. It's all His. We will see the beauty of God. And for eternity, we will reflect the ultimate glory of God forever. And while we're doing that, we will enjoy every moment while we're reflecting the glory of God. We will see glory. We will not only see glory, we will see Him as He is, 1 John chapter 3 says. We will see Him as He is and, what's the next phrase? Be like Him. Whenever He rose from the dead, He rose in a glorious body. We'll be able to do the things that He desires us to do that we can, that we can't do here. Jonathan Edwards put it like this. How happy is that love in which there is an eternal progress in all these things wherein new beauties are continually discovered. The rest of eternity will keep discovering new beauties that will continue to be fresh. It will never get old. For eternity, and more and more loveliness, in which we shall forever increase in beauty ourselves, when we shall be made capable of finding out and giving and receive receive more and more endearing expressions of love forever, our union will become more close and communion more intimate. New beauties are continually discovered. It won't be boring. It can't. We shall forever increase in beauty ourselves. A finite mind right now cannot fully know an infinite mind. Our finite capacities for this idea of pleasure, the pleasure of God, cannot fully know that right now. This joy in the age to come will be an eternal increase of learning and loving. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 never ceases either. We go from one glory to another glory to another glory to another glory. It just goes on. How better can it get? So the the question is this. Final question is this. Is the greatest good purchased and promised in the Gospel becoming like the glorious Christ Or is it seeing the glory of Christ? Look in John 17.24 Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am so that they may see My glory which You have given Me. For You love Me for the foundation of the world. Father, I can't wait. You give Me that glory so that when they come to be here, they will see this. Of course, later on we get the revelation of we will 
have that glory in 1 John 3. Oh, the better we see Him, the better we will reflect Him to all eternity. We will be fully able to be in absolute awe. Colossians 1.18 says He's first in everything. But it's not our likeness to Christ that it's the ultimate goal of the Gospel. You say, what? It's a goal. It's a goal. A glorious goal, but it's not the ultimate goal. So what is it? Well, seeing and savoring, enjoying, being delighted in the supremacy of Christ is the ultimate goal. If we just saw it, that's not enough. We have to take delight in that glory, don't we? It's just a foundation. In asking whether seeing God or being like God is the greatest good of the Gospel, it'd be better to say that's delighting and displaying that glory of God is that ultimate. Now, we we do do this. I've been referring to like our 2 Corinthians 3.18. I even said 1 John. We haven't turned there. Let's go there real quickly. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Scripture says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. If you do that now, you're purifying yourself right in this present day. <laughs> so there's like Him and seeing Him. Um, go to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we are to behold Him and we are to become. If we behold Him, we will become. If we become, we will behold. But yet, it still doesn't reach its ultimate goal because those are the foundations of then being able to delight. Not just behold and not just seeing, you know, and and, and um, recognizing that, wow, this is a glorious God. And, and that where he said in John 17.24, the gift of seeing that divine glory. That's what Jesus wants. He wants us all to see that and experience it. And then He wants us to take delight in that. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's verse 26 of John 17. And we're getting to the aspect that this is an awesome promise. I don't know how far my mind can expand on this. How far can this go? When we see Him, we will love Him with the very love that the Father has for the Son. And... I know that we would all say we love Him, but do we love Him with every ounce of our strength? Do we love Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Have we done that today? Every part? And it falls short, doesn't it? That the love with which you loved me may be in them. Same kind of love that you, how you love me, Father. I want you to give that love to them so they can love you back like you love me. Wow. The Father has infinite joy. Now, to some people, it'd say, I don't know if that sounds right. You think God should have pleasure and joy? Yeah, that's what He's about. That's what He is. Of course, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He is joy. He is happiness. That's what He is. 
Seeing leads to savoring. Or it's not good news at all. Really taking that beauty in. So there's an, an internal thing here, the affection. And there's an external thing. And that's where the affections that we have of delight start showing outwardly that we enjoy Christ. Whatever we do. Of course, ultimately, the deeds of our resurrection bodies will make known the glory of God like we cannot do here. Being like God is the ground of seeing God. And seeing God is the foundation and the ground for delighting in the glory of God. So being like God is a foundation for seeing Him in His glory. And seeing Him is the very ground for delighting. You ever delighted in anything? Delight. Now, the next question is number six. Well, how can we delight in things when things are not so good? When things aren't going good? When we go through pain? When we go through suffering? And as Romans 8.32 says, and we'll turn there, how do we get through the rest of this life to get over there and get into this glorified situation? It's like we've been teased so much with this, we just can't wait. right? In Romans 8, that glorious chapter, says in verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? He will give us all things ultimately. But all things are even given now because if you remember verse 28 when this beautiful section started, He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He causes everything. And if you look at the apostles, He caused a lot of things that really things I really wouldn't cherish like tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword and death. But do you remember Lazarus? There was something behind all that. How about the man who was born blind that God caused him to be born blind? That's what it says in John 9. That's what Jesus says. That that very moment that people would see His glory. Humanly, that sounds awful. What kind of God is this? Well, He's one who really will do, go to the ultimate to put on display His glory. And of course, the ultimate is at the cross, isn't it? And then the, the resurrection. Ascension. But all things. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Joy of the Lord is my strength. I can do all things. What kind of things? Athletes use that. It's a great scripture for athletes. That's good. I have nothing against that. And he's talking to all Christians. When he says all things, he's talking about all sorts of different things. Things that we wouldn't cherish. <laughs> things like Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, naked, sickness, pain. The gospel gifts are purchased us, purchased for us by the cross of Christ. And He has ordained things to happen. And they are benefits. So how are the all things in Romans 8.28 and the all things in Philippians 4.13 and then the all things that are in Romans 8.32 which ultimately come about, we'll gladly accept those, won't we? You know, all those things, because we know there won't be any kind of sin there. The answer is that in the merciful sovereignty of Christ, empowered by His own blood, the sufferings accomplish the greatest good. Everything does. Paul said, Oh, that I may know Thee, 
the resurrection and the sufferings that reminded him of the cross. Everything that God gives him. I want to know all of that. Boy, this gospel just says some things that goes against the grain of the mind, doesn't it? But remember, God does things that don't seem right to us. That's because we don't have that eternal mind clicking here because we're so consumed with what's happening at the time that we forget about His glory. It was designed by God to keep us close to Him. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Everything. If God is sovereign, nothing takes Him by surprise. So He's in on everything. And that should give us comfort, not distress. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us. This, this is Paul. This is the great Apostle Paul. The affliction to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively. Excessively. Beyond our strength. So that we despaired even of life. Take us, Lord. We have nothing left. Take us. There's no reason to live on. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He's going to die. They don't have a chance. We're going to die. We're going to, you know, this is it. But evidently, they didn't at that time because Paul wrote this. He wrote it because he says, God made us get through this. He delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through our prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. God delivered them through because they prayed. But God is the one that set all that up because He is in charge. But yet the prayers of the saints delivered them through until it was time for them to go graduate to be with Him. But they were they were at the point of death. God took them to that and said, "Okay." And the prayers of the saints were right in on there. And that's that uh, sounds contradictory, but it's not. So don't ever give up in your prayers. You can say, "Well, God might be doing that for somebody, so I'll just let Him do His thing." Why do I pray? Prayer and the sovereignty of God go together. And remember, our minds are finite. We can't understand everything, but we can say, "Well, God's doing something in this. I know He is, so I'm going to pray that His will be done here." You know, at the same time, I'm going to pray, for, pray for that these people be delivered until God does whatever He does. A little bit different way of looking at it than the way the flesh wants to look at it, isn't it? It certainly is. Look in Second Corinthians, same same book, chapter twelve, seven through ten. This is the chapter where he went to heaven. He couldn't say anything about it because it was beyond anything that he could put out, even with the Holy Spirit. And if he would have said it, we couldn't have understood. Here it is. Here it is. After after he's been to heaven, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, how God revealed Himself. For this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Where does it come from? Well, Satan. Yeah, but who's in charge here? Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Nothing wrong with praying about that. (laughs) I, I heartily agree with that. We should. And He has said to me, here's what His answer was finally, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. 
the mighty, powerful Apostle Paul was in absolute weakness. There was nothing in him left, even to the point of death. And God says, my grace is sufficient. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. This was designed by God to keep Paul and us close to Him. It's a deeper knowledge of God. It's a deeper trust. This thorny messenger of Satan, you ever had one of those? Everybody here has some way, whatever it is. Ultimately, it's designed by God for what? that He would sanctify us. He uses the enemy, Satan. Satan is no match with the mighty, powerful God. Satan is just a creator. Or, uh, God is a creator. Satan is what? The created, <laughs> a created one. Almost messed that up. Job. We saw what God did there. But there's a sanctifying gospel process that's happening that goes beyond the reach of Satan. God has a greater plan. What was Christ's purpose in Paul's suffering? My power would be made perfect in your weakness. Christ is magnified in my weakness? Yeah. The goal of God's glory is not my immediate comfort and ease in life. That's not the goal of my life or God's plan that we would have immediate comfort all the time right here on this earth. Ultimately, we will. Its goal is my being so in love with Jesus Christ and so passionate about His glory that when my suffering comes along, it can highlight His worth because I am weak here and this is going to make Him look strong because I'm going to bear it gladly. I don't like it. I don't wish it. And I don't wish it on anybody. And I'm barely getting through. But I'm still going to say I will gladly bear this because I'm knowing the suffering of Christ. The goal is not our ease or our wealth or our safety in this age or the comfort, but it's dependence upon Christ. Our delight in His glory. That's a more compelling pleasure in Christ than any kind of physical comfort we could ever have. Relying not on self, but God. What should faith trust Christ for? It must taste and embrace satisfaction. That's really how we glorify God. There's a spiritual sight that we have right now. And we are to savor that glory now. And I'm going to close with two Scriptures that should really help us to focus, to savor, to delight on the glory of Christ today. These two passages. One is found in They're both in Psalms. One is found in Psalm 63. And I promise, this is what we're leaving on in this message here. Psalm 63. 1-3. And if this is not encouraging, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Oh God, You are my God. Oh God, You are my God. And I will ever... Praise You. I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh yearns for You. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Sometimes it's so dry. Thus I have seen... There's the scene. Seeing You in the sanctuary to see Your power and Your glory. There we are, folks. Because Your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise You. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Go to Psalm 73, verse 24. Is that ever encouraging? Look at this. Psalm 73, verse 24. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. He counsels us now, one day He'll receive us to glory. Whom I have in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. Nothing. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, You are our portion forever. And we come to savor Your beauty. That is what our life is about. To savor, to delight in You that Your Word has given us in the promises. Thank You for revealing that to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.